I hope you have your word tonight. I want you to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 8. And as I was trying to uh, not rush through last week, but thought I would get further than I did, uh, the same is true tonight, but it's even on a grander scale as far as um, the slowness that the Lord uh, has prompted me to take in the whole two verses that we're going to get through tonight. Um, after last week, I thought, well, we'll definitely finish up chapter 8 next week. Uh, no big deal. But as I began to write and the Holy Spirit began to pour in, um, I just really felt we need to slow down and be sure that we get these two verses tonight. Um, because a lot of times these verses are misinterpreted. Um, and the truth is not known. And, and when we misunderstand something, we miss the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to miss the Holy Spirit. I don't want to miss what the Lord truly has for us. So tonight reading Mark chapter 8, two verses, verses 35 and 36. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? A very familiar portion of scripture, I believe, uh, for most who have been uh, in the church any amount of time. And I found it so funny that today uh, when I got into the car to run to the store, um, the radio came on and it was, I don't want to. Uh, gain the world, the whole world, and lose my soul. That song was playing, and I was like, really, Lord? <laughs> Great. <laughs> so just confirming again, we got to get the true meaning uh, of these two scriptures tonight. So contained within these verses, uh, we really find Jesus' philosophy for life. His take on what true living really is, uh, which is, and it's not going to be a shock to you, but it's the completely opposite view as the world's philosophy, right? And to adequately be able to wrap our minds around this, we need to, I feel, back up to our closing verse from last week, um, verse 34 of Mark chapter 8. And it says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, the world will tell you, oh, you're in charge. You should be fulfilling your needs, your wants, your desires. Do what makes you happy. You're number one, right? That's what we hear. That's what we are constantly fed. Um, and it's not just uh, in movies. It's in commercials. It's ads on Facebook, everywhere you look is feeding self, fueling the flesh, right? That, that's what makes uh, this world go round, especially America. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to be, right? Go find yourself in this world. But the truth of the matter is a person can search the world over, <laughs> And never find themselves. Why? Because you can only be found in Christ Jesus. 
That's the only place that you and I, will, anyone, will ever be found. So to quickly sum up the world's way is self-gratifying, self-gratification. That is the world's uh, mentality, the world's mindset is really instant self gratification. I know my kids, they love to watch these videos. Uh, I believe it's on YouTube. I don't know because I'm old and I always say the wrong things. But they watch um, satisfying videos. And it's like uh, making slime and seeing it come up through a hole and then come out. And somehow that's satisfying or swirling paint on a, a a marble countertop and then having a little thing and wiping it completely clean. They love watching these satisfying videos. Uh, I was making pizza last night, rolling out pizza dough. And Sage was like, oh, that's so satisfying. I was like, well, why don't you get over here and do it? If it's <laughs> Here's the rolling pin. Come, let's see how satisfying it is, you know? But that's what especially this younger generation, they like that instant gratification, satisfaction, instantly. Nothing that you have to work for, nothing that you have to, to wait on, and definitely nothing you have to give up in order to get something, right? That's not being taught. That's not being instilled. So in the opening statement of verse 35, for whosoever will save his life, shall lose it. See, Jesus is telling one how to be, is not telling one how to be saved from sin because we know that's only by and through the blood of Jesus. Here, Jesus has given his word concerning life, really telling us how to live. You want to know how to live? Lose your life. Right? That's what he's saying. Kenneth Wu says it like this. God has so created man that he does not find complete rest and satisfaction until his entire being is swallowed up in the sweet will of God. That's the way the Lord made us. We're not going to find rest. We're not going to find satisfaction in anything this world has to offer. It is only when we are swallowed up in the will of the Father. And that's a good place to be. That's the best place to be. I think about it all the time. Lord, I don't want to miss your will. I don't want to miss it, Lord. I want to be right in the middle of it, Lord. That, that should be our desire. That should be any child of God's desire to be right. I'm southern. Smack dab in the middle of the will of God. That's where we should be. So the word life in this text is not referring to your physical existence and its needs, but it's speaking about your purpose for living. And see, that's where some misinterpretation comes a lot of times in reading this verse and truly not searching out the, the word, taking the words back to the Greek and, and understanding what life are you talking about. Oh, you're talking about uh, you've got to give up um, red dresses or you've got to give up earrings or you know no that's not what it's talking about right here it's talking about our purpose for living what drives you what motivates you to keep on keeping on Jason said uh, I think it was yesterday morning 
He woke up and he said, I love waking up with the Lord on my mind. I said, yeah, I do too. And I said, what song are you singing? And uh, he was singing some song that Joseph Larson sang. And I was singing and I said, oh, I thought we were singing the same song. Because believe it or not, there have been mornings when we wake up and we are both singing the same song. Now I'm talking, oh, no, we didn't go to sleep with SBN on. We turned the TV off. But just somehow through the night, I can't help but think that one or both of us are praying in our sleep and our spirits bear witness with one another, right? That's how the Lord designed us. That's what he intends for us to do. We go to sleep with him on our mind and we wake up with him on our minds. That's, that's what should be motivating us. That's what should be driving us. That's why we get up in the morning. That's why we get out of bed. Yeah, I know you have jobs but the first thing is, Lord, thank you for breath in this body that I can get up and go for you. I'm going to go teach school for you. I'm going to go sand and paint cars for you. I'm going to go, you know, do all these other things, but you're doing it as unto the Lord. And that has to be our driving force, our desire to live each and every life, uh, each and every day of our life. So tonight I want to, to ask you, who and what are you truly living for? Who and what are you truly living for? And let me be very honest, your life will tell on you. It's not that hard um, to figure out who and what you're living for because our lives bear fruit of that. Um, it might not be good fruit, but it's fruit <laughs> nonetheless. But what is, what's driving us? Where, where's our passion? What have we found to be our purpose in life? Just to make a quick buck, to spend it the very next, you know, time we turn around? Or is it on the things above, on the things of the Lord? Is that our desire? I think one of the saddest things in the world is going to someone's funeral and to hear nothing about the person's love for the Lord. That is one of the saddest funerals that you can go to. I mean, you'll hear about their great accomplishments, their degrees, uh, even contributions to charity and to the world. You know, maybe they were like famous and they invented something great. But to hear nothing of a person's personal relationship with Jesus is heartbreaking. See, they missed it. If that can't be said. If that can't be said of your life, you've missed it. You've missed uh, what life is truly about. See, they simply lived and died without ever really knowing what true living actually is. And that should, I hate to use the word scare, but make you think, what am I doing with my life? At my funeral, are, are people just going to be able to stand up and say, oh, I had a beautiful coin collection or, you know, <laughs> whatever you can think of. Or can the testimony truthfully be, be told of you, this person had a heart for the Lord. This person served the Lord with all that they had. And that is the greatest testimony, the greatest thing that could be said about one who passes away. I don't care if they owned half of Denver. That does not impress me. And guess what? It does not impress the Lord. But a person who gave everything they had, that widow's might, that's what 
impresses the Lord. That's what pleases the Lord, is that they had a heart for, for him. So what and who are you truly living for? I quoted it last week, and I'm sure I'll quote it several if, uh, more times, if not thousands more times, uh, because we have got to get this scripture. Galatians 2 and 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And I want to kind of break this down right here. It says, and the life which I now live. You can't miss those two words, now live. Why? Because that tells us that there's been a change. There is a difference between the life you used to live and the life you now live. And if you can't look back on your life and see a distinct change, then something needs to happen. Something needs to take place. The Lord's here tonight to say, come, I want to change you. I want to give you true life so that you can truly live. There is no life outside of Christ. There's no life. There's only death. You can only live in Christ. So the life which I now live in, uh, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Do you see the contrast here between your old life again and your new life in Christ? Now you're living for the Lord. The faith that you got saved with, that's the faith now that you're living out in your daily life. It's amazing how the Lord will take one scripture and so open it up to you. And you're like, oh, wow. I mean, this is the entire Christian life right here in Galatians 2.20. Now live. Those two words. I mean, it's just amazing how the Lord will do that. When you're hungry and you're searching and you're seeking out the Lord's will for your life, he'll take two words, now live, and totally just, whoa. Wow, there's got to be a change. There's got to be a change. And you're living it for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. See, your life has done a complete turnaround, or should have. After that, you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Your life now in Christ has purpose, and it has meaning. And guess what? It has an effect on everyone around you. So what are you doing with it? You know, if, uh, if a church here, people around us will benefit from this church. They may not even be saved, but they're still going to feel the benefits of the saved. That's how good God, God is. He reigns on the just and the unjust. And we've got to understand what a responsibility, what a privilege that we have in Christ Jesus. What are we going to do with this new life that we've been given? Are we allowing it to affect others around us? Are we sharing it? Or are we keeping it all to ourselves? No, we've got to share it. Uh, again, our, our lives will have an effect on those around us. And Solomon is a great example of that. Uh, Solomon in all of history, no one ever had the wisdom or riches to indulge his passions 
and appetites as he did. You see, nothing was out of his reach. He could have whatever he wanted. Nothing was illegal for Solomon. Nothing was too expensive for Solomon. He could have whatever he wanted, but yet... In the end, in Ecclesiastes 1.14, and you don't have to put it up unless you just want to. I don't even know if I gave it to you. These were Solomon's words. He says, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. What does that mean? It means that all of it didn't amount to anything. Not one thing lasted. Not one thing was of any worth in the end. The entire book of Ecclesiastes exposes the emptiness of earthly wisdom. The world can nor ever will satisfy anyone. There is pleasure in sin for a moment, but it's over. It's done. I'm all for learning and and education, but I want you to understand that all wisdom begins with knowing the Lord. Proverbs 9 and 10 tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding, right? So we've got to be sure, especially uh, for our children, we can push books and, and, and all of these things, uh, worldly things, which they need. The, I know they need these things, but more than that, they've got to have a knowledge of the Lord, or everything else is going to be for naught. It doesn't matter. I've said it, and in fact, I even heard uh, Charlotte saying it to, to Lynn. My kids, I don't care. They could be dumb as a box of rocks. But if they've got a love for the Lord in their hearts, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. She was speaking of Jesse. He could be a garbage man as long as he loves the Lord. And, and we know Jesse's not going to be a garbage man. That might be Sawyer. (laughs) He'll be the best garbage man Denver has ever seen. No. But do our children have a heart for the Lord? That's the most important thing. In the end, that's all that matters. Knowledge of of, uh, space and molecules, and I'm not even smart enough to know what these smart things are. But that's not going to matter. Do they love the Lord? Is their heart for the Lord? Now on to the last part of verse 35. It says, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, which tonight is the title of the message, for my sake, and the Gospels, the same shall save it. So what does Jesus mean by losing one's life? Well, first let me tell you, he's not talking about physical death. That's not what he's talking about. He's speaking of the believer ceasing to depend on his, his or her own ability, strength, efforts, accomplishments, um, and doing it all for his sake, for my sake. Coming back to that simple statement, I can't, you can help. If there's ever been, uh, I'm counting five words, that have made such an impact in my life, it's those. I can't, you can help. I find myself quoting that, saying that all the time. I'll find myself in situations and I'm like, I just don't know what to do. I can't, 
You can. <laughs> Help me, Lord. And he does. Oh, he does each and every time. That's what he's waiting on for us to say we can't. Lord, I need you. I can't make it without you. That's what he's waiting on us to realize. And he's probably thinking, it's about time. It's about time you realize this. But here we find uh, right in this two things, two conditions laid out, and it's my sake and the gospel's. Those two things are very important in the last part of verse 35. The first one being my sake. Again, this simply means to trust his ways. To trust his ways, which is always the way of the cross. If we could keep this in mind, we would never back down from witnessing to anyone anywhere. To do it for his sake. For my sake, when you stop and think about all the Lord has done for you, the pouring out of his precious life's blood, the great price he paid for us all on Calvary, how could we not do it for his sake? What could possibly keep us from sharing the goodness of God with anybody when he's done all of this for me? Everything that he's done. Why do we not? What keeps us? Self, pride. That's why we're instructed in Philippians 2, 5 to let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What mind was that? Well, it was the mind to always do the will of the Father before his own. That was the mind that was in Christ Jesus. He was a 100% man, but 100% God. But yet he yielded himself to the will of the Father in every situation. And that's the mind that we have to have. Lord, I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for your sake. I want to do what you would have me to do. Right? We have to take it again a step further and say, let his will be done and not ours. And then to let his will become our will. We've got to lay down everything that we've uh, dreamed about, that we thought how our life would go. You know, we all had those dreams. I mean, that's what we do. And sometimes our dreams are his will. But a lot of times he just wants us to give them to him. And then he'll give it back. And anytime we give him something, what he gives us back is always greater. It is always greater. It is perfect because it's from him. It's not made up of our own imaginations and our own desires and, and, and things like that. When it's handed down from the Father, it's perfect. That is the will of God. It has to come from him, and our prayer should always be, make me like you, Jesus. Just make me like you. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. A prayer each and every one of us should be earnestly praying each and every day. You see, this is, I, I think this is such an on-time word in light of Saturday. Right? Going door to door. Handing out flyers. To most believers, that is a terrifying thing to do. But guess what? When we are swallowed up in his will, when we are in him, and we know that he is in us, we're going to do it for his sake. It's a joy. 
to be able to go and knock on the door and to share the love of Jesus. You're not preaching a message. We're making it really easy for you. We're giving you a flyer that says it all. Won't you come? I want to give you this flyer. And then the Holy Spirit's going to well up inside of you and you're going to find yourself saying, is there anything I can pray with you about? Take notes. I'm kind of telling you what to do on Saturday. <laughs> In case you didn't realize, I would love to pray with you. And then tonight, we're going to have a bunch of people that would, that would love to pray with you. We're just going to come together and sing of the goodness of the Lord. Tell him how faithful he is, how good he is. See how good that is and how good that makes you feel. I'm just ready to go now. I just want to go right now and just start knocking on doors. Because it's wonderful. There's nothing greater than doing things for his sake. Telling of his goodness, sharing his love. Oh, wow, there's nothing greater. Nothing greater than that. That's the least we could do for him, for all that he's done for us. The second condition is, and the gospels. You'll see how that plays out in the end of Verse 35, and the Gospels. In this statement, he's not just talking about preachers, and a lot of time that's what people think, but he is speaking to every single person that calls themselves to be a born-again believer. As you know, the Gospel is good news. That's what that means. That's what Gospel means, good news. It's the good news that Jesus died on the cross, making it possible for sinful man to be made righteous, and to have eternal life. There's no news better than that. That's the best news that's ever been told. That ever will be told. Oh, we owe it first to the Lord. But then to all of those who are around us. To tell them the gospel. To tell them the good news. Romans 1 and 14. Jason's favorite scripture. Uh, or one of his favorite scriptures. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who, who are at Rome also. Now, what made them ready? Receiving Jesus as their personal Savior. Not going to Bible college, which is great. Not getting a master's in theology. Not any of those things. What made them ready to preach? You said yes to Jesus. He has now equipped you to do it all. He's equipped you for all good works. He's given you everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness. Now go. Those are the first two letters in gospel. Go. Right? We're not to stay. We're not to sit on the gospel. We're to go with the gospel. We're to go and share the gospel to whosoever will, right? That is the call that we have been given, the charge that we've been given. As I said last week, we've got to be a people that lead others to Calvary. Don't take people to programs. Don't even take them to churches. Don't. You come across people. You come in contact with people. Their lives are living hell. And instead of allowing the Jesus that's inside of you, the freedom to flow out of you, well, why don't, I mean, they're in hell on earth right now. Well, 
wait till Sunday and I'm going to take you to church. No. No. Don't make the poor soul wait till Sunday. We've got access to them right now. Whenever, wherever, take them to the cross. Take them to Jesus. Just tell them he died for you so that you wouldn't have to live like this. I know you got yourself in this mess, but he's going to give you a way out. He is the way out. He made a way over 2,000 years ago. We can't be a people who just drop people off at church. Oh, you deal with them, preacher. No, you've been saved so that you can deal with them. And when I say deal with them, I don't even like that. You can be the light. You can be the encouragement. You can be what they need right at that moment. Why? Not because of you, but because you've got the one living inside of you who said, let there be light, and there was light. The one who said, get up, and they got up. That's who's inside of you. Don't make them wait. Give them Jesus right then, right there. Don't wait. We are to live the Christ life, which is to live the cross life, which is to have the more abundant life. That, that John speaks of John 10, 10. You know that uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's the abundant life right there, telling people what Jesus did. Right? Then and only then can we live a victorious life, which is a beacon of light to this lost and dying world. So in this manner, the last part of that, the same shall save it, save one's life. Um, that's what it's referring to. Years ago, I was pregnant with Sage, and we were in Chicago, and we were riding the brown line. I learned a lot about Chicago then. There's a brown line, a blue line, a yellow line, a red line. And that's how these people live. If, you've ever, if you grew up in a city like that, you know you have to take the brown line to the subway and the blue line to the grocery store. I mean, it just blows my mind because I'm like, well, you just turn down yonder at the tractor and <laughs> that's where you go. But anyway, we were on the brown line train. And we were riding along, and I saw a sign, and it said, you haven't lived until you saved a life. And that motto was uh, for the U.S. Coast Guard, and it showed a guy coming down out of a helicopter into a uh, lifeboat or, or whatever it was. But immediately that dropped in my spirit that true living is dying to self so that another can live. Exactly what our military does for us today. They put their lives on the line. They lay their lives down so that we can enjoy the freedom of life. We can live life in complete and total freedom. But when you think about that spiritually, you hadn't lived until you saved a life. Now, we know we can't save anybody. It's Jesus. It's the blood. It's the Lord who does the saving. But he uses us to do that. And when we lay down our life for someone else, wow, that's living. That is living. 
at its greatest, you'll find Saturday, you think you're going knocking on doors, giving somebody something. Oh, you're doing this. But what you get in return, wow. You'll meet an individual who began to pour their heart out and share their faith story, their life's journey with you, and you're like, good gracious. You should be trying to convince me, you know, of something. I'm reading a book right now, and I've got a couple more copies of anybody would be interested, Tortured for Christ, and uh, I got through two chapters of it, and I thought, am I even a Christian? I don't even feel like calling myself a Christian after reading what people to this very moment are going through each and every day in their lives. To know him, to make him known to those around them. Wow, we got a long way to go, church. We got a long way to go. We've been so blessed. We take it for granted. And then we're so stingy with it when it's all been freely given to us, poured out on us over and over and over again, and yet we get this mindset that we own it. It's mine. And you've got to prove yourself to me before I'm going to give it to you. Wow. We better wake up and realize <laughs> we're the one in the hot seat here. <laughs> not the, the individual that we're withholding it from because the Lord's going to have grace and mercy on them. Not so much with us because we should know better, right? We should know better. Okay, I got off a little bit. I'm going to get back on here. Uh, so, again, how we live our day-to-day -day lives matter. It matters to those around us. People are watching us each and every day to see how we're living you know if you've professed to be a Christian at your workplace, they are waiting on you to mess up. But gosh, when you don't, or even when you do, really when you do mess up, that's the greatest opportunity to make such an impact in a non-believer's life. When you will go to them and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? To an unbeliever, unbeliever that speaks volumes but when we act like we got it going on and we never make a mistake and we never miss a beat oh we're giving people a, a false thing that they think they can never live up to none of us could live up to what the Lord requires that's why he gave us Jesus that's why he gave us Jesus and I'm so thankful it's all about you or uh, or how can I please the Father this day? It's not all about us. Uh, it's how can I please you, Lord, this day when we wake up. We've got to get to that mindset. It's all about the gospel. How can I share the gospel today for your sake, Lord? Lord, I know I've got to get this, this, and this done today, but in the midst of that, Lord, give me opportunities to share your word. Give me opportunities to show your grace, to extend your mercy, Lord. However that might take place, Lord, I'm here. I'm available. Use me today for your sake and for the sake of the gospel. And can I tell you that when we have that heart, his answer will always be, well, Summer, die to self today so that I can live through you. Today, Summer, you've got to die to yourself. Because guess what? Both of us can't live. We can't. One's got to die. I choose me. Because I'm, I mess, mess it up. 
but he does it always right. He does everything right. So if our heart will be each and every day when we wake up, Lord, I'm dying to myself today so that you can live through me. Wow. What a, a life. What a difference we would begin to see in our day-to-day -day lives if that will be our true heart's cry. Verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Here we find Jesus using the simple equation of profit and loss. Right? Hear me tonight, one soul is worth more than the whole world. Your soul is worth more than the entire world. See, the Lord in his infinite wisdom is bringing this all-important subject down to the level of a businessman. He's talking profit and loss so that we can understand it. Right? Everybody gets that. Profit's good. Loss is bad. Right? The world always wants to know, well, what's in it for me? What's my cut, my take? What am I going to get out of this, right? Well, commentary says here Jesus addresses the world on their own level. The conclusion of the question, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, puts everything in stark contrast. And isn't that the truth? So in essence, Jesus is saying that one soul is worth more than the entirety of the riches of the planet Earth. One soul. One soul is worth more. And we think, oh, well, if I could just have this and if I could just have that. No, if you just got Jesus, you've got all you will ever need. So what do we mean by that? If a man or woman gains the whole world and then dies without God, losing eternal life for their soul, being condemned to hell forever, wow, it certainly should stand to reason that there is no profit in that. There's no profit in that. Had it all, but died without the Lord. No profit, only loss. Our life on this earth is so short, very short. In fact, James 4 and 14 tells us, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away meaning that if the Lord is not guiding your life then it's all a waste your life is a waste I don't want my life to be a waste I don't want your lives to be a waste that's why I'm going super slow which is really hard for me because I'm want to just fly through things get things done but the Lord says no we got to get this we got to understand we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to shake us and wake us up why am I doing what I'm doing I don't want my life to be a waste. So whatever we have here, whatever I've accomplished, it's only for a season. And then we face eternity. And eternity is forever. Forever. Noah used to get all crazy and couldn't sleep at night when I would talk about eternity being forever. His little mind would just go, Mama, what are we going to do for eternity? I can't ride my skateboard forever. I'll get tired. Our minds can't even fathom eternity. And if we start thinking about it, we kind of, yeah, what are we going to do, right? But it's good. We're going to worship the Lord. So now we should be able to understand that if a person gains the whole world but loses his soul, then he's really gained nothing. So what is the soul of man? And quickly, I'm going to try to get through this because you've got to understand it so that you can understand why Jesus died 
to save your soul. See, the soul is one's personal existence. It's the life or self of an individual marked by your drives and your desires. Going back to the first verse, that is your soul. It's the seat of emotions and feelings. The soul and spirit of a man are indestructible. They were created by God to live forever. That's uh, our soul and our spirit actually make up the being of man. Man, in a sense, is a trinity. The spirit, the soul, and the body. And you can look it up, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I'm not lying to you, but that's the scripture. So the only part of a man that dies is the body, and that's because of the fall. The sin of Adam and Eve. That's why our body dies. But thank you, Lord, at the resurrection, we will be given a glorified body which cannot die. And I can tell you this, each and every morning I wake up, I got a new crack, a new ache, a new hurt, and I'm longing for that glorified body. Amen? It's coming. We're looking forward to that day, right? Oh, we're looking forward to that day that should excite us. But at the same time, this next uh, explanation should break our hearts because for the unbeliever, at the moment of death, the soul and spirit of the unbeliever, which are inseparable, are consigned to hell to await the second resurrection of death and damnation, which will take place at the conclusion of the kingdom age. See, it will be the time of the great white throne judgment. And at the second resurrection of damnation, all unbelievers will be given a body that is indestructible also. A body that feels the fire. But it never, it never dies. It, the flesh is never consumed. It just keeps burning and burning which will join their soul and spirit then, and they will be cast into the lake of fire forever. And this is called the second death, Revelation 20 and 14. And that breaks my heart because it was never intended for man to go there. But man chooses to go there. But are we doing our part each and every day for his sake, for the sake of the gospel? telling others. I know Brother Swaggart um, several weeks ago it might have been on a Wednesday night was speaking of a gentleman who had a dream that he was in hell and he saw a man walking around and pulling up uh, others that were in hell by the top of their heads, the hair on their head, looking at them to see, were you the one that told me I was okay? And just was going from person to person. We Time's too short to be lying to people. To be making people comfortable in their sin. We can no longer do that. It's getting close. Time is drawing near to the end. I would hate to think that I told somebody or made somebody to believe that they were okay in their sin. That they were comfortable. Oh, well, God knows your heart. And that should terrify one who is in sin, who has yet to give their heart to the Lord. I mean, that should be a wake-up call to us. What are we doing with our lives? I don't want my life to be a waste. You can call me crazy. You can call me a fanatic. But one day, if you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, when we meet in heaven, it's going to be a good reunion. <laughs> Rather than them being in hell for eternity saying, why did you tell me I was okay? 
I couldn't bear to think that I've done that for people. Made them comfortable in their sin. But now, for those who believe, those who are in Christ Jesus at the moment of death, the soul and the spirit of all believers instantly go to be with the Lord. And at the first resurrection of life, which will take place at the rapture, the believer will then be given a glorified body, which will then join the soul and the spirit and be with the Lord forever. Oh, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm so looking forward to that day. But I want to take as many people with me as I possibly can. Not for my sake, but for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. And I want to close with this portion of scripture in 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 57. 1 Corinthians 15. 51 through 57. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and death shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Oh, wow, we should be excited, church. I know it's Wednesday night, but we should be excited. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, he's done it all for us. So everything that we do, we owe it to him. We owe it to them, church, for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. So tonight, I just want you to right now, as you're standing to your feet, begin to ask the Lord to search your heart. There may be those that even this very week, You've said something to them. You've maybe given them a false sense of hope that, oh, well, you're okay. You've got time. Just pray about it. No, we've got to be real with people. We've got to take them to the cross. We've got to show them that there is a father who loves them, who died for them, and who, whose forgiveness is there for them. All they've got to do is reach out and receive it. We owe it. We owe it to them all around us. Tonight, if you can't think of a situation like that, but each and every one of us need to be down here praying for Saturday. I'm believing the Lord for salvations on Saturday. I'm believing the Lord to do a mighty work on Saturday. And then I'm believing to do a mighty work on Sunday morning and Sunday night. I want us to understand our prayers, our, our time of intercession. It's preparing the soul. For when the seed is dropped, that's our responsibility as a church to be on our face before the Lord, interceding for those that are going to pass our way, interceding for those that are going to come through those doors, interceding for those that are going to get a knock on their door on Saturday. Prepare their hearts, Lord. 
Remove any hindrance, any distraction, so that your word would go forth, that salvation would come, and you're going to get the glory. That should be our heart's desire. So tonight, as the music plays, I'm going to encourage you all to come, to make yourself a place to just come before the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that only He can do. So won't you come? So come while we're here, while we're near to the Lamb of
that he's worthy tonight. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. praise tonight oh lord we thank you father you're worthy lord all glory belongs to you lord god we can't say thank you enough lord for all that you've done for us lord so tonight lord i pray that as we go forth lord that we keep it in our mind lord that your mind be in us lord that everything we do is for your sake and for the sake of the gospel lord that we would seek god our opportunities to show and to share your love god with all who pass our way and we'll give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in jesus name amen and amen Thank you. Hey, um, Vanessa, can you put Acts 2020 up on the screen, please? If, oh, yeah. if it's, I know you can. Um, I, as we were praying, just, uh, I don't know what day it was. Whatever day it was, I was coming back from Yakaville sometime. Was it Monday? Monday. Monday. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just praying and, and just really being thankful for the Lord. And, um, and then this coming weekend, and Summer mentioned and hit on it that, uh, and I was talking to Terrence, I said, it's funny to me, not, I guess that maybe I shouldn't use that word, 
but a lot of people are getting ready to get out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And uh, it will force you to do so, to reach out to love. Yeah. And this is, we started out this year, and what the Lord laid on my heart right here, and that's on the shirts that you'll pick up or you'll purchase or whatever. And it's Paul speaking, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you and having showed you and having taught you publicly and from house to house. Okay. And that should be our drive and our desire to share the gospel, regardless of who it is or where we're at. And uh, the Lord laid on my heart something, and I will share more with you later, but uh, it, it's just a part of who we are. And I, I really couldn't think of anything to call it, so I just called it Project Build. And uh, Build is to believe, to unite to intercede, and to love Denver. And um, my heart is crushed. Our hearts are crushed because people are going to hell. Not only here, but in Yakutville. And I know that we have a body that is truly a body, that is truly family. And I want to tell each and every one of you, I don't care what age you are, 20 or 95 or 115 <laughs> or 5, we need you. That's right. We need you. Amen. And uh, anyway, we love you guys. Be praying about this upcoming Saturday. Yeah. Uh, please make every effort to be there. We need you. And uh, Yatkinville needs you. And we want to show Wayne and Stacy that we're not just saying we support you, but we support you. And uh, we want the house to be full. So Amen. anyway, the bus will leave here at 11 o'clock. And the van also, if needed. So uh, we'll make those arrangements and we'll be there. But uh, anyway.